Galatians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading at verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of the satisfaction you felt? For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. For a good purpose it is always good to be made much of, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, with whom I am again in travail until Christ be formed in you. I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I think the basic reason why Christian faith meets with opposition in the world and often finds resistance even in the Church of Christ is that saving faith always brings with it a reshaping of the mind and the heart so that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives within us and therefore gets the glory for whatever we accomplish. There is in every human heart, I think you would agree, an intense and powerful love for the praise of men. Just as naturally as apples fall downward, human beings gravitate towards ideas and actions which make them look big. And they resist ideas and actions which make them look small. And therefore, apart from the powerful grace of God overcoming our own natural disposition to pride, we always resist faith because faith means that Christ is coming in and taking such dominant control of our lives that he reshapes us according to his image and we can no longer boast in anything but the Lord. And it doesn't appeal to the natural mind to be so transformed by Christ that we have to give him credit for all we do. That is not an appealing message. And that's the fundamental stumbling block to, to genuine saving faith. John wrote it like this, the words of Jesus. How can you believe who receive glory from one another. Don't seek the glory that comes from God. The love of the praise of other people is an iron wall against faith. We have to turn and trust Christ like a little child, put all of our eggs in his basket, and it isn't attractive. It doesn't get us any glory. It gets God all the glory. 
Jesus, once for all on the cross, paid our debt without our help. And he goes right on applying that redemption in our hearts without our help. By his sovereign grace, he paid our debt. By his sovereign grace, he is putting his form into our lives so that we will say with the psalmist, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Saving faith, what is it? It is a resting in that sovereign grace. Therefore, in one sense... Saving faith is the easiest thing in the world. Oh, what could be easier than being putty in God's hands? And yet, in another sense, saving faith is the hardest thing in the world because human beings hate more than anything being putty in God's hands. It's not surprising, therefore, that the teaching of the Judaizers found a foothold in the new converts in Galatia. Just like all kinds of cults and egocentric fads find a foothold in our society and even in the church. The teaching of the Judaizers did not oppose the pride of the Galatians. It catered to the pride of the Galatians. They said, move on from faith to works. Move on, get beyond the booster rocket of the Holy Spirit and kick in with your own effort and flesh. And they offered the law as a means of enjoying your pride morally. Suited their fancy real good. So their teaching was not as radical and humbling as Paul's. It was appealing, however, to people who want to be religious, but don't want to be putty in God's hands. No way. I'll be the potter. Thank you. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 to 21, Paul continues his effort to rescue the Galatians back from the clutches of the Judaizers. Verses 12 and 19 give the main point. First of all, verse 12. Brethren, I beseech you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, what does that mean? For Paul, it was the most uncanny irony that he had become a Gentile, though he was a Jew, in order to win the Galatian Gentiles, and now they were becoming Jews in order to win the approval of God. Who has bewitched you? He uses the argument, look, don't you remember what I became among you? I didn't bank on any of my Jewish distinctives when I presented myself to you. I offered the gospel of free grace. You could become saved without becoming a Jew. How is it, having seen that, you are now becoming like the Judaizers. Please become like me, free in Christ. That's the main point. Become free like me. But verse 19 puts it a little differently and shows us why 
Freedom from the law doesn't degenerate into self-glorifying lawlessness. My little children, my little children with whom I am again in travail until Christ be formed in you. When Paul said in verse 12, become like me, he meant let Christ be formed in you. And the reason I think that's what he meant was or is what we saw in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Remember that central verse? Here Paul describes what it's like to be Paul. You want to know what it's like to become like Paul? You read Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live depending on, relying on, trusting in, by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, what's clear from that verse is this. When Paul said, become like me, he meant die like me. He meant so lean on Jesus that your life is Jesus. Paul's whole ministry was, was a mother in travail. I am... Uh, I am moved and scared by this analogy as a pastor. A mother in travail who's having labor pains. And he labors to get that baby out. A baby that is Christ. Formed by Christ from within. And he had done all the labor back on his first missionary journey. The baby had emerged. There it was. And now he's writing and says, I'm still in labor pains. Because Christ isn't formed in you yet. You're not the whole child that you ought to be. His whole ministry was one of trying to beget Christ-like people. My little children with whom I am in travail again until Christ be formed in you. That's the main point of the paragraph. Become like me, that is, have Christ formed. Within you. Now, that message is diametrically opposed to the message of the Judaizers. And you can see that by contrasting verse 17 and verse 19. Let's take verse 17. In verse 17, Paul uncovers something real ugly, namely some motivations behind the Judaizers' proselytizing. He says, they make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What's their motive? What is the driving force at the root of their travels through Asia Minor and their sleepless nights and their hard moral work among the churches? The praise of men. They want to be made much of. They want to be sought out, depended on, stroked, have their ego built up. And to get that kind of ego building attention, they tell the, the Galatian Christians, you know, you're going to be excluded, shut out from the blessings of God if you don't follow us. 
and our understanding of the law. And in that way, they make the Galatians beholden to them. They feel good that people are depending on them. And every time a Galatian Gentile Christian capitulates and gets circumcised, they put another notch in the pistol of their pride. It's just what Paul said over in chapter 6, verse 13. He said, For even those who receive circumcision do not themselves keep the law. They desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Boast in your flesh. The very theology they propagate is rooted in pride. They say, yes, depend on God, but not only on God, depend somewhat also on yourself. So they cater to the pride and the desires for self-reliance and the praise of men still there as a remnant in the heart of these believers in Galatia. And isn't it inevitable that when you have that kind of theology, the motive that will drive you in the disseminating of that theology is none other than the desire to be made much of. I think that's what verse 17 means. But now let's contrast, let's contrast Paul's message, which comes out in verse 19. Paul's longing, the heartbeat of his life, is not that he gets made much of, but that Christ gets made much of. Oh, that Christ would be formed. In your life. And if you think back to chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Are we still seeking the praise of men? If we were seeking the approval of men, we would no longer be a servant of Christ. What's this experience? We've got to get into this because this is, this is the most important thing for us in the world. What is this experience of having Christ formed within us? There's a lot of talk today, especially on seminary campuses, about. Uh, Spiritual formation. Recognize that term? I like that term. It's a good term. And I'm all in favor of that. Provided what it means is Christ formed in the believer. Nobody else forming the believer. The biblical quest for spiritual formation is a quest to be so shaped from within by the indwelling living Christ, that we can say, we're not conformed to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. The biblical quest is to be so shaped by our union with Christ that we say with Paul, the life of Jesus is manifested in our bodies. The biblical quest for spiritual formation is to have Christ so forming himself within us and shaping us by his inner indwelling life that we say with Paul after a life of ministry, it was not I, but the grace of Christ that was with me. Or, as he says in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. Or, as he says in Romans 15.18, I will not speak of anything save what Christ has worked through me. Paul was just a Christ-besotted person, drunk with Jesus. He oozed Christ. Cut Paul, he'll bleed Jesus. 
And I want that for Bethlehem. And you do too, don't you? I know that's the deep longing. To have a church just full of people who ooze Christ. You look at them, you see reflections of Jesus in their eyes, in their hands, in their facial expressions, in the things they do, the attitudes they have, the way they worship. It doesn't take a genius to see that when Christ shapes us like that from within, there's no danger of freedom from the law resulting in self-glorifying lawlessness. No way. In fact, just the opposite is the case. It's by Christ's powerful forming himself within us that we experience the dynamic that enables us to fulfill the just requirement of the law, which according to chapter 5 is love. The freedom from the law that the Holy Spirit of Christ gives is a power to delight in the will of God. Lo, I come, it is written of me in the book, my delight is to do thy will, O God. Now, how does that happen? Under what conditions does Christ form himself in you? That's the big question. And I think we can see from the text if we make a link between three verses. First of all, link verse 19 to verse 6. Verse 19 says that Christ should be formed in us. And verse 6 of chapter 4 says that the way Christ comes to us is by his Spirit. God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our heart. So when it speaks of Christ being in us and forming himself within us, it means the Holy Spirit of Christ dwelling mightily, shapingly within us. Then link up that verse 6 with chapter 3, verse 5, which says, The one who supplies the Spirit to you, the Spirit of Christ, and works miracles among you, does he do it by works of law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is clearly by faith. In other words, the ongoing supply of the sovereign living Christ in our lives happens under no other conditions than the condition of faith. That's all. The hearing with faith. Not works. Works take the place of the reign of Christ. 